0: have indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week we're talking xr safety week with information researcher and founder of the xr safety initiative kavia perlman she'll be on to tell us all about the event which is taking place next week and about the xr safety initiative that, that should seem obvious uh, we also have the co-ceos of Meow Wolf, Ali Rubenstein and Carl Christensen. They'll be on to talk about the eventful year for the immersive entertainment company that has opened two attractions. That would be Omega Mart in Las Vegas and Convergence Station in Denver, both of which opened this year. Uh, plus, the pick of the week is back. But before we get to all that, some breaking news out of the next stage which is, of course, our Immersive Industry Summit and Mini Festival happening in Pasadena this January, just a little over a month away. We here at the Immersive Experience Institute, who put on the next stage and also put on no proscenium and everything immersive, uh, we are pleased to announce that CAGES, the incredible musical in downtown Los Angeles' arts district that incorporates immersive installations, performance, and technology into an incredible spectacle of an evening are joining the mini fest lineup. We'll be sending 30 badge holders to the Friday night performance of this awesome show as part of the overall festivities. I wrote the review for the, this for us uh, a, bit, a bit over a year ago, uh, to, a bit over two years ago. It's been a minute. Uh, you know, you know what's been going on. Uh, we're really excited. Cages was part of the original plan for the 2020 Here Fest, which uh, is what this was going to be. And I'm just pleased as punch that we have Cages back in the mix and that we get to send so many folks over to check it out. Three-day on-site badges are still on sale. It's not too late. And the lineup of speakers has, frankly, gotten out of control. We've got the Royal Shakespeare Company, Meow Wolf, Walt Disney Imagineering, Department Studios, who are producing Arkham Asylum. We have artists like Risa Puno, who is working with Superblue, and Melinda Lau, who is coming in from Singapore. Our friends from Room Escape Artist are leading the immersive gaming track, and there's a special focus on XR that it will include behind-the-scenes look at Onboard XR and Welcome to Respite. Uh, It's really shaping up to be a simply incredible event that we're doing at the Pasadena Playhouse uh, that, honestly, I wish I could go to it, and then I wasn't the one having to do all the logistics. (laughs) I make a show that I would be like, oh my god, I'd love to do this, and then I don't get to do it. But you get to do it. Uh, badges are on sale now. Go to experience the next and uh, take your uh, immersive career up to the next level. There's, there might be some more stuff. Uh, in fact, there is some more stuff we're going to announce soon, just just so you know. We're not done yet. Oh, no. <laughs> we aren't done at all. <sighs> that work that I was talking about. All right. And with that, here's no Pro's executive editor, Catherine Yu, with this week's. Headlines.
1: Hello, this is Katherine Yu, Executive Editor of Noversinium, and here's what's in the immersive headlines for December 3rd. First off in Metaverse news, Samsung has announced their Dreamground project, a mixed reality playground concept, combining physical sculptures with augmented technology, accessible using both Android and iOS devices. Visitors to Dreamgrounds can interact with the sculptures using their smartphones collaborate with others in real time, and contribute their own art to any particular dream ground which will persist for up to 24 hours. Their first few locations are at Hollywood Park and SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, as well as Samsung 837 in New York City. Philip Rosendale, founder of Second Life and current co-founder of High Fidelity, had some thoughts she shared with Axios on Meta's vision for the Metaverse. Given his past experience, Rosendale believes that the Metaverse is not for everybody, and maybe not even meant to be for everybody. He says, quote, "There still arises this weighty question of what is it that's going to cause normal people to be willing to go into these online spaces." I think we still haven't answered that question. End quote. Elsewhere, Dungeons and Dragons is possibly getting a themed restaurant and entertainment center in Wisconsin. The new venue, named Griffin and Gargoyle Tavern is intended to be a 32,000 square foot immersive experience just north of downtown Lake Geneva. The owner aims to break ground this spring and to be operational by spring 2024, just in time for D&D's 50th anniversary. Speaking of themed entertainment, we've been getting more and more sneak peeks at the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser experience opening this coming March at the Walt Disney World Resort. This time around, the public got a first look at a quote unquote real retractable lightsaber, taking place at Destination D23 last month. Do note that this elegant weapon of a more civilized age will only be handled by cast members and will not be available for purchase. So it looks like the only way to get up close and personal with this particular Jedi weapon is to hop on that Galactic Star Cruiser. That said, Disney Parks, Experiences, and Products president Josh De Amaro also gave the public a first look at the lightsaber training that will also be available as part of the Galactic Star Cruiser experience. And these have been your immersive headlines.
0: If it sounds like Catherine is hiding out in a computer lab somewhere on a university campus, it's because she is. She is busy doing her thesis work over at USC Games. We are always incredibly appreciative of how Far above and beyond Catherine goes for everything we do here at NoPro and on the next stage. And uh honestly, uh when the day comes when she's done with her thesis and gets snatched up by some giant company, it'll be a massive loss for us. All right, on with the show. Joining us now is Kavya Perlman, an information security researcher and founder of the XR Safety Initiative. Hello, Kavya.
2: Hi there, it's so great to be on this podcast, and I am so excited that I get to share all these insights that we are about to bring through XR Safety Week.
0: And that is what we're here to talk about, which is XR Safety Week, which is coming up just the week after this drops. A caveat for those who don't know, what is XR Safety Week?
2: So, Noah, as you know, holidays are around the corner, and 2021 is the year of the largest number of individuals and organizations that will be getting into xr xr as we know virtual reality augmented reality mixed reality what we try to address is not just xr as a technology but xr ecosystems as most people know facebook is now meta and they are you know, they've expressed their desire to be the metaverse company. So when we talk about XR ecosystems, it's really also known as the metaverse, which is still in the making, but you know, we can see all these technological advancements happening with respect to new head-mounted goggles, the you know, VR headsets being pushed out, some of the augmented reality glasses. Facebook's Ray-Ban stories, glasses, all these new gadgets are gonna hit the market for the mass consumption. And so we sense this sort of urgency to create data, privacy, ethics, and safety related awareness uh, so that when people, when consumers, when the mass, uh, you know, when the folks go ahead and purchase these devices or engage with XR or download more new apps, they're aware of what is really going on with respect to safety. So they don't put their rights at risk. They're aware of their human rights. They're aware of, you know, if they're buying some of these gadgets for their children, what are the safety requirements there? So those kinds of things is, you know, just really a, a to create a moment of reflection, in fact, a week worth of effort, just so we could create a moment of reflection as to, hey, we're moving fast with these technologies. Let's celebrate this technology and all the people as well. But at the same time, let's go into XR or get into XR with safety at the forefront of our minds.
0: You're talking about uh, taking kind of a collective moment to pause and and take a look at these These issues that these new technologies bring up. And, you know, we've had 20 years of people living on the internet, as it were. And we've seen all of these issues arise that no one, no one but maybe the the researchers kind of predicted. But now everyone's kind of slightly familiar with the kinds of dangers online. So when it comes to safety in XR, I just want to see if we can kind of get our hands around this. Like, are we? Are we just talking about privacy? I know that the XR Safety Initiative has a privacy framework, but are we also talking about creator's rights, harassment, access, the kinds of relationships people have both on and with digital platforms and, and how that's going to wind up existing in this new metaversal space.
2: Yeah. And it's a very good question. What is safety in XR? So this is a deliberate uh, attempt uh, and a choice that we want to um, make sure that people understand that safety is a much broader term in the context of XR. So safety is like you know a sense of well-being, a sense of feeling, am I safe with respect to this environment with, while using this technology? And that safety, how do you get a sense of well-being uh, would you feel safe if you're hacked no so cybersecurity sort of comes underneath that is we want to make sure that you know we uh, anticipate what the bad guys the malicious actors would do so we can potentially create safeguards accordingly or we can find cyber attacks before the bad guys do so that's another thing that xrsi does um safety also means you know sense of privacy so your sense of autonomy your human autonomy your mental agency is safeguarded and that's also you know within xr when we start to talk about all kinds of sophisticated data that gets collected uh, at x r s i we attributed it to be biometrically inferred data, so based on you know things that you do in the metaverse or in any of these x r technologies, so many inferences can be made about you. An example would be and i 'm taking just you know the internet technology example, but you know you type your with your typing pattern the research suggests that you can actually establish how fast a person's multiple sclerosis is uh, spreading so these xr technologies while people may think that oh this is just for game uh what we try to do is expand the understanding that this scope of these xr technologies is much wider it's way beyond gaming Uh, it impacts a lot of different uh, areas Uh, we also talk you know about diversity and inclusion because that is also safety so would a particular segment of uh, society feel included feel safe while using these technologies if they are constantly being monitored or their location is being monitored and shared with whatever uh, providers or these inferences as i talked about earlier you know that's one of your diseases progressing, let's say if that is shared with a health insurance provider uh, and then they deny you coverage. So there is these very much deeper issues that we investigate. But during the safety week, we really just want to bring forward this idea of sort of having a sort of a, you know, investigative or much more of an awareness mindset, a critical thinker mindset. That's the goal, is to cultivate that mindset that, hey, these technologies are great, these are sophisticated, and that's where safety as a broader term. It's not just about cybersecurity, not just about privacy. We do have a privacy and safety framework. That's why we added, based on our legal advisor's uh, advice, we added privacy and safety framework as a you know note to it. And that's what has become, which previously was just a privacy framework. It's actually a privacy and safety framework in version 2.0, which is going to be concluded hopefully in 2022. So within that framework, as we made that shift, we also incorporated some of the tools that... Uh, E-Safety Commissioner of Australia, which, by the way, is also another um, partner, community partner and a supporter. So we're going to be demonstrating a lot of their tools that they have developed and we've collaboratively worked with them with the Parliament uh, of Australia uh, to help them define some of the codes, align some of their tools They we're still working with them to align the tools to xr what that means in xr um, and then you know just having the commissioner speak uh, we have nhs for example is all about using these technologies for medical context to train people to perform operations remote assisted surgeries and whatnot so all of this you know when you do when you use this technology to perform surgery patient safety comes into play Uh, Is the patient feeling safe? Is it safe to perform that surgery using this technology? Will the technology fail during that time? Uh, what about interoperability if some of these protocols interfere with each other? So while our scope of our work goes way, way deep, all the way to, you know, even developing some of the augmented reality protocols, which we are currently doing that for public safety officers, police officers, etc. But that's what safety means. Safety means this very broader sense of well-being from all all angles whether it is privacy autonomy whether somebody is being ethical towards making these decisions whether they should share your data or not whether somebody is being ethical towards you know disclosing that they have lost your data or not or even creating you know empathy training people are creating but you could use the same exact thing to you know weaponize that to create some other effects in some people's minds so all of that builds up to be a more of a broader term safety. And that's what we want everyone to keep in the forefront. When you engage with these technologies, think about the sense of well-being, And that's why the whole safety effort.
0: It is a broad category and it, you wind up having a lot of moving parts in here and things that people I think don't think about on the regular. Uh, and... That's also feels like one of the ways we've wound up in the moment we have with just the Web 2.0 technologies being the way they are. A lot of people, even though they're using day-to-day, aren't thinking systematically about the choices that were made in building these infrastructures. You've been doing a lot of press lately because metaverse has injected itself into the mainstream. What do you think, of, of all we've mentioned so far, what's maybe the biggest issue that we're collectively facing regarding XR safety that isn't really being talked about or even gets maybe you know smoothed over or just like overlooked as the press has been talking to you or that the companies are kind of trying not to touch because it's, it's too electric.
2: Right, and this is another very good and significant question that we ourselves at XRSI, we're trying to answer that. So one of the very big issue the industry is facing right now is this sense of accountability. Uh, As we noticed that right when Facebook files were being uh, Mm. opened and talked about, um, Facebook uh, labeled itself or announced itself to be meta. And now there is this lack of understanding Whether Facebook is the one who is creating metaverse or, you know, for for common people who are not too familiar with what's coming in the future, there is this lack of understanding and a lack of accountability. So we have not yet addressed the issues of Web 2.0, and now we are bringing Web 3.0, which includes terms like, uh, you know, metaverse. What is the metaverse? Uh wallet. What is the DAO decentralized? In, what is decentralized economy? Or what what is what are all these terms? Just like a baseline understanding? All yeah, the, way the, the idea
0: that there's a mining cartel for Bitcoin that exists. It's like, well wait, what? Like all this sort of stuff is
2: exactly I,
0: I've been a tech reporter on and off for 20 years and there are things in this that just mystify me if for no other reason than I'm like why are we doing it this way (laughs) why are we recreating the parts of reality that don't work and codifying them into digital
2: so so I think those are two major challenges. One is creating awareness as to what is really happening. And there is a lot of silos where it's happening. So it's not that Facebook is building the metaverse. That's one. <laughs> we need to, to absolutely be very, very clear. There are several organizations that are going to come together. And these many technologies like 5G, 6G, brain-computer interfaces, artificial intelligence, XR and, you know, decentralized ledger technologies and all these, you know, NFT virtual economies, like there's a plethora of technology that are going to converge to create this metaverse. So awareness of all of this, a baseline common understanding of all of this is definitely a challenge. So we're trying to do our part, create some taxonomy stuff there and put together standards. But then the second piece is addressing them in terms of who is accountable for what. So once we get the understanding, okay, this is what we call these things, this, these are these technologies, these people hold that many pieces of the puzzle, okay, now it is our role, collectively, to shift some of these responsibilities upon each other, so that we can now, together, address the piece of safety. So an example would be, I call XR safety is a shared responsibility, because Meta can give you controls that you must press the button or check the box or read the TOS or do this or do that. But if you don't, if you don't engage with that particular control, then you're on your own and your rights would just go right out the window where your default privacy policy might just be sharing all the possible data points that you will provide just by moving your hands or your camera or your pictures. Everything would go out the window To Meta. So it is important to know when we engage with these technologies, whose responsibility is it to protect privacy, to have these controls in place? So, of course, it's Meta's responsibility to have these controls in place, but it is our responsibility as a consumer or as a person who's impacted by this to exercise those controls or to exercise our rights. So I say this thing, you know, Web 1.0 was made by idealists web 2.0 was made by capitalists so who is going to build the web 3.0 and the answer is the visionaries the creators the developers all of us are going to build the web 3.0 and so now we pretty much did not address these ethics privacy and all these things proactively in 1.0 we didn't even do a good job in 2.0 when it comes to metaverse i think we are possibly two to three years ahead which is a great news but at the same time it is now our role collectively to get engaged and try to address this as we build this new iteration of the internet and that's what i'm hopeful about is that we have a little bit of time we're going to put together you know, lots of multidisciplinary experts, minds, and there are a lot of organizations that are coming together, even at, you know, AWE Augmented World Expo that just happened in Santa Clara. I was there together with Meta, with a couple of other, you know, even their lobbyist organizations. And I was sitting on the same panel with them just to demonstrate and inspire the community that we are all in this together, addressing these things. And they know it. It's not that they're just going to, go in the silo and create some demonic technology and unleash on us. No, we are pretty much like working hand in hand to try to understand, hey, what does bystander privacy mean? How should we give people rights so that they don't feel left out in terms of diversity and inclusion? So a lot going on. And then this week kind of brings that community that cares about all these things together to bring more people into that camp so we can now start to dissipate all the information that we gather and you know try to bring together people with the knowledge the wisdom to try to give it back to the community be like okay you're a parent you should think about this you're a teacher you should You know, think about how you can teach better with using these technologies. So, a little bit of celebration, but also just like I think of it as inception of an idea that safety is important. So you just kind of induce that in their minds as they're engaging with the technology.
0: Well, I know you've got another call you've got to race off to, but uh, this has been excellent, and it sounds like we've got. We've got a little bit of breathing room, like you said. I mean, we've got a couple of years here, maybe not the full five years that some people are, have, have suggested we have, but that, that this right now is is a time when we could actually make an impact and and get it get it done right. Um, Kavya, uh, again, if people want to take part in XR Safety Week, where should they go?
2: Sure. So I, I think it's worth mentioning that XR Safety Week is um, – a week worth of uh, celebration. It's taking place 6th of December to 10th of December. 6th of December will start out to be immersive storytelling and journalism. Then we'll focus on next day on child safety, December 8th on diversity and inclusion, December 9th on medical XR and immersive healthcare. And then finally, We will conclude the week December 10th, which also happens to be Human Rights Day. So we'll focus on privacy safety and digital human rights on that day. So if you want to get engaged, there are several different ways to be part of it. As an individual, you can simply tweet out support, you can send social media, you can encourage people, you can take part as a participant. As an organization, especially if you're a for-profit organization, you can sponsor some of the activities that XRSI is conducting, all the stuff that we are putting together. And if you're not a for-profit, if you're a non-profit, if you're just a community organization, just reach out via www.xrsafetyweek.org and you can submit any events that you want to do, Or if you just want to spread the word, we would add you as a community partner, we'll add your logo, etc. And uh, there are no charges for it. So you can, you know, create a Zoom call or webinar or something, we'll list that out. As long as the focus is one of these five things that we've listed, we will, uh, you know, support you. And you can take any of the media assets, you can change your... Pictures to XR Safety Week within your, you know, like a Twitter header. There's like a lot of activities to get engaged, get involved. The main thing is go to www.xrsafetyweek.org and check out all the activities there and be part of it. All the details are available on the website.
0: Fantastic. Kavya Perlman. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, and I hope to see a lot of folks uh, participating and uh, getting their uh, getting their uh, icon badges on and letting uh, letting the word ring out about XR Safety Week this coming week.
3: Hi, this is Patrick McLean, the Chicago curator with No Proscenium. I'm here to introduce this week's Pick of the Week. Every week we meet in Discord for review crew to talk about what we've seen or experienced recently. You can hear that in this podcast feed right before this one. It's a partner to our review rundown on the site and where we select the Pick of the Week. This week, the pick we have is...
0: Arcane from Secret Cinema,
3: based on the Netflix series from Riot Games. And no need to, I'll, I'll introduce you, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure people know at this point that uh, you me. are. I'm no one else, and it's me. Come on. You Hi. heard my voice earlier. And so, I mean, let's just get right into it. Uh, why is this the pick of the week?
0: Yeah. So look, this is, not only is this Secret Cinema's United States debut, uh, with a full secret cinema style show uh, and also the most gamified show they've ever done, according to them. Um, this is also a pretty amazing realization of what is the number one Netflix television series in the world right now, or at least a couple of weeks ago, which is this beautiful animated series arcane, which is based on the league of legends game. And, um, you don't need to know anything about the game to understand the animated series. I do recommend if you're in Los Angeles and you want to see you know, what is one of the most elaborate and polished immersive activation slash shows we've had in quite some time, Um, that you at least watch the first episode of the series, maybe the first three episodes, because that's going to tell you two things. One, it's going to tell you if you like the characters and you like the world, uh, which means go ahead and buy that ticket if you also like Immersive. Or if you don't like the characters and don't like the world, you can skip this one because this one is very much a realization of those characters and this
3: world. And that is an impressive feat in and of itself. And what makes actually going to this experience like the, the pick of the week in the sense that it sounds like this is a really well-built out, well-thought-out concept in secret cinema. Their you know resume speaks for itself to a certain degree. But like, what, what did you love doing in this experience?
0: So my favorite thing in any immersive is getting to just play with actors fully in character uh inhabiting the the roles that they are inhabiting with you know responding to their character motivations riffing off that and kind of getting into trouble based off of uh character motivations and i got to do that for 2 hours straight <laughs> and it's just a kid in a candy store now I was on what's known as the VIP track because they singled us they singled us press so that's the 140 versus the $70 version but there's a whole part of this show that I missed which is the other crazy thing is that there is escape rooms embedded into this. There's a metagame going on where you're trying to solve puzzles to unlock this MacGuffin that then you get to like hoard for various factions. And that leads you to interacting with different characters. Uh, They've just built this machine for these encounters approaching it as you would an open world video game. And this melding of theater and games And really cool aesthetics. There's a dance break in the middle of it. Um, It's kind of everything I want one of these things to be. And I wound up really liking the animated series. Like, I I didn't expect that. I watched the first episode because I knew I was going to go to the show. And I fell in love with it. And I just wish that every big story world that I love, you know, like Star Wars and Batman would would get to have, oh wait, they are. Okay, so you know, like, <laughs> life's pretty good if you're Noah Nelson, and uh, from that point of view anyway. Uh, so yeah, it's just getting to see that it can be done with something that I didn't have an emotional attachment to until like, you know, two days before, uh,
3: really gives me hope for the genre as a whole cool. Well, that, I mean, sounds like a really amazing time. I know you wrote a capsule review, which is featured in a previous review rundown, which is at noproscenium.com. And if people are kind of really interested about these, uh, about this experience and want to learn more, you can, of course, just go one spot back in your podcast feed to listen to this week's review crew at your leisure. <laughs>
0: Joining us now are Allie Rubenstein, co-CEO and Chief Creative Officer, and Carl Christensen, Chief Financial Officer and Co-CEO of a little company you may have heard of. Meow Wolf. Hello, Allie and Carl. Hi, Noah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, n- nothing, nothing new with you guys. No, no big news in the past year. So I don't really know. Um, <laughs> so
4: Yeah, it's been pretty boring around here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um it's been uh it's been intense for y'all. Two attractions opening in the past, what, 12, 15 months? months? I can't, I, I've lost, I, what is time? Nine months. Nine, nine months, months, yeah. Nine yeah. months. Mm-hmm. Nine months. Mu- oh my goodness, it was just nine months? It feels, no, you're right. You, yeah, of course you're right. You yeah. <laughs> um, my God, it's only been nine months. Where, where does life go? So now that we've luckily established it, Nine months, two attractions, Vegas and Denver, both delivered in in the middle of what is definitely the weirdest time of my life and probably your lives too. Uh, how is it going? Uh, how does How does it feel to have the the, the attractions open now?
4: Um, I would well, it's a huge relief. Of course, you know, because we didn't know for sure until we did it. Certainly in Vegas, we weren't 100% sure we were going to be able to pull it off, um, but we did. And um, huge relief. It's been a huge, huge success. I mean, we've been selling out constantly um, in Vegas and in Denver now, uh, six months after, what's six, seven months post Vegas. And I'd say the biggest, the biggest, feeling for me is just relief that we actually got it. We got it open. Got the boat
5: open. I'd echo what Ali shared. I think um, there's, you know, back in 2020, early 2020, when things were starting to hit, um, we certainly had some, some challenges, but there's this all, all of a sudden great uncertainty around what will this industry face and what will we really ultimately experience. And so, Certainly, we had um, we had a lot of those questions ourselves, and what did this mean to our business? And and so being able to now open these exhibitions and see see the crowds coming in and see the you know the joy that is still on their face, maybe sometimes through through a mask, uh, it's it's so great to be able to see um, customers come in, fans come in, and. Uh, deliver this experience again.
0: I have to imagine that the expectation of what throughput was going to be like, so you you mentioned you're selling through, but is, is that the sell through that would have been happening pre pandemic or is it like a pandemic adjusted or, or is it just full to the gates? Like all, all speed
4: ahead. Well, you know, in Vegas, I mean, first off we were lucky in that we were opening in Vegas, right? That was that was the one kind of the one city last in February that even had a shot at opening something like this, right? The there was the rules were a little bit more relaxed there than in some other cities at that time, right? Um, and when we first opened there, and we also, by the way, opened a month later in uh, reopened in Santa Fe, we in both locations opened at what we considered to be a pandemic level that was a little bit lighter to, uh, to allow for social distancing. Um, but we very quickly as you know, the, the number of cases fell and we were very confident in our levels of safety um, rose to what we, our expectations were pre-pandemic. And we're, we're full, full on through the gates now. We're full wow. on. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. For a little while we were at pre what we would call pandemic levels, but now we're, we're full throttle. Uh,
0: are, the folks you're getting are the, are they very different demographics between Vegas and Denver? I think one of the things I, I haven't gotten a chance to go out to Denver yet when I went to Vegas, one thing I was really impressed by was how many families were coming through because I was it was like the middle of the day when I was there on like a Tuesday or something like that, um, and it was it wasn't necessarily it, it was a crowd that was similar to what I had experienced at the House of Eternal Return, and I don't tend to think of Vegas as like a family destination joint like, like city at all, so I was really like I was like is this and it was and it was super multicultural like I felt like I was walking through like a mall in the Bay Area. So like back in the nineties and I was really just like, oh, who are these folks? Like, are they tourists? Are they Vegas locals? Like, is what, what's the makeup of folks who are coming to, to, to the new spots?
4: you, you want to take into, that Ellie? Uh, I would, well, you know, I think one thing that's the thing that is unique about one of the many things that's unique about our exhibitions is that they do appeal to a wide demographic, right? So someplace like Vegas is interesting in that you're going to get a very high percentage of tourists in the late afternoon and evenings and nighttime, certainly. And of course, that's generally going to be a more adult crowd. But during the day, we are, you know, we intended to and we are appealing to local audiences. There's not a lot for families to do, for local families to do in Vegas, and I think we really hit on a special note in providing a place where kids and parents and grandparents, families together can go and enjoy, and that's definitely playing out in Vegas, um, in all of our locations, but especially in Vegas, in a daytime attendance versus a nighttime attendance, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was readily apparent to me that there was there was something different from what I was expecting in terms of who the makeup was because of sort of the you know, area fifteen's position itself as like, you know, cool hip, you know, rave, you know, party spot, you know Totally. Neat, you know, black lights, burning man, you know, like all that vibe. And I was going through and I was like there's like three generations, four generations of family, like here. Totally, like,
4: totally. But I think yeah. I think that speaks to the brand expectation too, right? Because Santa Fe is you know distinctly family is family oriented in many oh, yeah. ways, right? And generationally oriented, right? So news travels, you know, a little bit, and it was important to us to be open during the day in Vegas and and relatively early in the day for Vegas to allow for school groups and parents and children to have a place to go and it's and it's working
5: yeah yeah and you know i just add too it's it's great to see even during a pandemic state some of the out-of-state versus local mix Uh, we see in las vegas more than 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 denver a higher out-of-state but we still see a great uh, amount of the overall volume coming from out of state as well. And people are traveling. They are wanting to experience things. And uh, we've had, we we are fortunate to be able to say we've seen a visitor from every state um, in the United States.
4: Oh, wow. Yep. Every single one. Every single one. For a while, a long while, North Dakota was a holdout, but we've had a visitor from North Dakota. <laughs>
0: Just saying. Well, they 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 got there sooner or later. Um, (laughs) It wouldn't have been North Dakota that I would have expected to be like the last to line. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know. It just was. was I was expecting Alaska or Hawaii, but you know, there you (laughs) go. Uh, And and honestly, like in in a in a different era, like if pandemic had never happened, like I would like it would it wouldn't be all that impressive. But like, of course, you know, like the, the 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 vibe is is strong, and I think that. It's it's funny because like sort of the legend of Meow Wolf, you know has has been growing steadily. Uh, the first time I became aware of the company was circa 2015 when there was the Kickstarter for the House of Eternal Return, and they were explaining what it was. You know, it was like, well, it's going to be this thing. We've got a bowling alley and like there's a music venue inside and like there's going to be art everywhere. Kid Koala is going to come play at the open and Amanda Palmer is <laughs> going to play. And I was like, well, what is this? Weed Santa Fe? Really? Like, you know, like George R. R. Martin's our landlord. It was like, huh? What, who are these people? And and then to see just like the kind of the explosion of growth, um, you know, get, I got a chance couple of years back to like visit Caterpillar and see. Uh, for oh, those cool. Who, yeah. Um, so for those who don't know, that's, that's the, um, that's like the, the fabrication headquarters, uh, yeah. w- which is called Caterpillar because it's a former Caterpillar factory. And I don't mean the bugs. I mean the big, big, you know, industrial thing. So this huge Tractors. industrial. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Tractor factory that was turned into an art factory. Um but like the that that scrappy company of like 300 art kids in Santa Fe is is now being run by folks from the themed entertainment industry who like worked for like the biggest of the big. So how does how does the company sort of conceive of itself right now? Because from the outside looking in, like it's 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 a little. I, I can't make the pieces of it together in my head
4: anymore. <laughs> well, you're not alone <laughs> Okay. Uh, in that. I mean, you know, it's interesting. People ask me and Carl, both of us, a lot about this. You know, I always, I'm always getting asked, like, why why did you want to come to Meow Wolf? And what what are you doing there? And are you bringing Disney? And are you bringing Disney sensibilities and Disney processes? And, you know, I'm always saying, you know, if I wanted to, to make another Disney in Santa Fe, I wouldn't have, I mean, that was never my mission, right? I, I was never interested in turning Meow Wolf into another Disney or even necessarily bringing the sort of level of, I'd say, business associated with what it is that we do creatively from Disney. Now, to be fair, we have had to bring in some more um, sort of standard industry practices just because now we're a real we're, we're a big company that is building big exhibitions in cities with real inspectors and real architectural integration <laughs> and mm-hmm. all of those things not to say that santa fe wasn't but it was a very different time a very different era and now oh, yeah. you know we're going into brand new cities cities that don't know us cities mm-hmm. that don't understand what it means to integrate um, a highly themed technology animated figure, you know, they don't know what that means. So, you know, we have had to bring some of what it is that we did at our larger companies for Carl, from a business perspective. And for me, from building the theme from building theme entertainment, but decidedly incorporating that while maintaining the heart, the soul The history, the meaning of what it is to be a part of Meow Wolf, the artist, as well as Meow Wolf, the company.
0: For you, what's what is what is that meaning? What is what is the heart of the art of of Meow?
4: You know, for me, that means you know we talk a lot about you know our our art making as a business, but art making is what is so. Core to who we are and what differentiates us creatively and experientially from anybody else who's doing peripherally what we do. And there's a, there's a there's an explosion right of immersive experiential um, entertainment out there, and there's a lot of great stuff happening out there. Um, out in the world. And I, and I applaud it because it's, it's awesome. There should be like everybody get out there and make awesome immersive experiences. There's lots of space to do it. Lots of people who want to see it. What differentiates us and what really turns me on about participating in it and helping to support and lead it is that we are always representing the hand of the artist, the art making. We are generally not going out and having people manufacture stuff for us from drawings. We've got a core team of artists that we engage here in Santa Fe. And whenever we go into another city, we bring in artists from that community, and they all become a part of the making of that exhibition. And so what everything we're making, every hand that touches that art is what you see in that exhibition. And that's what gets me going. Like We are looking at the brushstroke. And that brushstroke, if you're an artist, is important.
5: Yeah.
0: Carl, from a, from a,
4: a, a, in a nutshell.
0: (laughs) Carl, from a, from, from the standpoint of a CFO and, and sort of what, what the market would expect, how does, how does on the financial side and like investors and backers and, and all that sort of stuff view that part of the mission?
5: Yeah, I mean I think it's 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 who we are. They they and as you know, very careful consideration of potential financial partners, um, as we started to go through those conversations, we were we were, we were somewhat selective of, of who we were having conversations with, just knowing that um we we needed to have partners that believed exactly what uh Ali just shared with you. And so um, you know, that was a very important, just starting, getting off on the right, the the right step together, making sure that we were aligned uh, was important. But um, I think, I think our investors and our, our financial partners, our vendors, our professional partners of all kind find confidence in who we are because of, and what we're doing and that statement because of the results and the experience. Mm-hmm. And you've yeah. seen it, you've, you've walked through Noah, the and you just shared some of the experience you had where families are coming together, their experiences, experiencing things together. And, you know, like Ali said, there's a lot of beautiful, amazing, wonderful, um, immersive experiences and, and location-based experiences. But um, it, it is truly unique in the way that we can bring multiple generations together and touch so many different lives with some of the experiences that we provide. So the investors see that. And and they get behind it. They understand it. And you know it's um, to to kind of go back to earlier. You asked a little bit how we've grown from this uh, kickstart uh, kind of chaotic origin to continue to build uh, and support what Ali just suggested. And it's there is this small influence of of business and operations and process and procedure. Um, but ultimately, all of that, we, we try and we're not always perfect in this, but we try to keep that in uh, the back in, behind the scenes. Right. Um, because we really do want the artist hand and the creative. And I'll use the word chaos, uh, but I mean it in a very positive way, that kind of creative, chaotic process to take place. And so as we've evolved in a very significant way over the many years, um, a lot of it is, uh, trying to find the balance and we're still trying to figure that out. Um, but it is to ultimately support all that Ali just shared, um, to really emphasize and put out there the, 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 uh, touch of the artist's
4: hand. But I do want to plug for just a second, Carl. I mean, I could not ask for a better, partner on the business and financial side who understands and is sensitive to the needs of creative and the and the needs to give the need to give artists their space and we've been really lucky that somehow we got partnered together in this because it was sort of random but um it it worked and it worked brilliantly because carl cares so passionately about what we're doing here creatively
0: having vegas and denver land the way they have uh, you know, use the word relief earlier. I, I, I know that it is, it's to some degree a time of rest after having accomplished two big projects and Denver in particular being a moonshot since that was from poured concrete all up. Um, has this given you all the resolve to go even bigger or, or are what's, what's on the horizon? Like, is the creative juice still stirring or are these three attractions right now, this playpen that can kind of refine?
4: Well, we are not resting. I will mm. say that. <laughs> <All right. laughs> we are definitely not resting. Um, you know, we do know we are going to keep moving forward. We have exhibitions in the pipeline um, that we'll be announcing relatively soon. Um, and we're going to keep opening exhibitions. We are definitely not sitting back and waiting to see how Denver and Vegas performs, or we're not even, we're not even waiting to learn any major lessons. We're going to just keep going because we want to keep going and we need to keep creating. Um, so there is more to come for sure in the very near future.
0: All right. Well, Carl and Ali, I want to thank you both for uh, swinging in on the show this week. And uh, you know, you know, you know, we'll be watching. So uh, it's uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you.
4: You too. Thanks,
5: Noah. Thanks for your support, Noah.
0: And that's the show for this week. Want to thank Kavia and Ali and Carl. Also want to thank Patrick and Catherine for uh, being in the mix. Uh, hey, you—you uh, you know that we run this like it's a charity. Uh, <laughs> and by by this time next year, we will be like a, a real charity. Well, I hope uh, it can take a while for the IRS to do all that sort of thing. Um, but we are, uh, reconditioning ourselves into a proper 501 C three. We have a fiscal sponsor this year, uh, and that's going to take us through that process. Those are the good folks at producer hub. Um, and as we transition over to that form, uh, we have uh, some direct donation links now for those who don't want to hop on the Patreon, but let me tell you the Patreon, uh, which is how we've been running this all along, uh, is our is my everything. It's how I I pay my rent. I am not an eccentric millionaire, as I like to say on the show. Um, So I want to thank the folks who've hopped on this week. We've had some churn. Uh, One of the sustaining backers uh, had to cycle out. They're still a backer, but they're not in the high level. A a bunch of folks uh, did come in. Some folks committed for a year, so that's kept us from losing any ground for this month, which is really good at the end of the year. Um, It is definitely a a nerve-wracking way to run things, but I want to thank Agent M83, Nathan Keys, Arthur Gilliard, Naomi Smythe, Liam Carey, Brady Walker, and Marika Borogov all for jumping in this week. Gavin Black upped his p- pledge. Thank you. You took what was dark and depressing week and made it, oh hey, we can do this. We've also been uh, hard at work on uh, you know, establishing some structural institutional support uh, we're going to be able to announce a couple of sponsors for the next stage pretty soon. Ink is drying, getting everything kind of together. After we finish doing the next stage, uh, we will be moving into a phase of, of really focusing on building the Institute um, and, and trying to take some of the pressure off the sort of constant ask. Um, so if you are part of a company and you want to support the work and want to help us grow the work we do here in the podcast – Uh, with the next stage um, you know what we're doing with everything immersive uh, you know please contact us we're we're building it out we're we're building out that infrastructure and we really do need your support Um, we believe in the future of immersive and experiential arts entertainment and we believe that there needs to be a home and a hub for focusing on the art and culture side of things Um, and that uh that's the work we try and do. Uh, I do thank everyone, uh, patreon.com slash no is how to keep us going until we're at that happy day when uh, we're just, you know, cashing Jeff Bezos checks or whatever whatever that turns into. Um, and, and we do need the support. Uh, we are far off pace from hitting 400 backers at the end of the year. Uh, right now, I would just like us to hit 350. I believe we're at 329 right now. So we still got mm, like 21 to go. Uh, so if you can, I know a lot of you give already, just help us spread the word. That's the number one thing. The more you spread the word, um, if there's something you hear that you like, if there's an interview that was interesting, if there's an article, uh, a review that was helpful to you, please share. It's the number one thing you could do. We don't spend money on Instagram ads and Facebook ads because the bang for buck on that stuff is really bad. People sharing the content. Is how we get the word out. Simple as that. Um, I don't have a thousand dollars to hand to Microsoft to run a LinkedIn ad, um, which is what they literally ask for. <laughs> They're like, "We'll give you a thousand dollars if you spend a thousand dollars on advertising." I was like, "If I had a thousand dollars, I'd be using it for something else." So probably putting on a show for everybody because that's just who I am. All right. Again, patreoncom slash proscenium. Thank you to everyone who jumped in this week. Also want to thank our sustaining backers as the team stands. They are Ari Hurstan, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Lonnie Hands-On, Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. Seriously, thank you all. Um, We're working on the next stage. Uh, We've got one more normal episode, although, although I've recorded all the interviews and they're all long, so we've got like a ninety-minute episode coming up next week. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. And then we've got uh, our end of the year stuff. So there'll be there should be episodes all the way through the end of the year. Um, there'll just be no non the non-traditional, the traditional non-traditional end of the year episodes for us. We will take a bye week during the next stage, so we won't have an episode going out that week. But we will return with something, a little something the week afterwards. And then we're going right into like Sundance coverage and everything of that nature. So uh, it never, it really doesn't stop. It just doesn't. Uh, But we do it for you and you keep us going. And uh, it's a symbiotic relationship. There you go. All right. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get this loaded up because it's like 1222 on Friday and uh, running behind schedule. What else is new? The associate producer for No Persinium, the podcast, is Parker Sella. Music for this podcast is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu does our headlines and is the executive editor of No Persinium and the No Pro podcast. Well, you know how it goes. I produce and edit this, this thing in butcher language. So uh, that's me. I'm Noah Nelson, in case you missed the thing at the start. Don't worry. I'm, I'm not concerned. What do I say at the end? Oh, right. Um, oh, actually, you know what? Before, um, hey, look, uh, I, we've got a new variant out there. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm definitely watching it really close. I know some people, oh, I do not want to say these words, wondering, they like, oh, call. what are you going to do with the summit with the thing? And it's, well, here's what we're going to do. Um, we are, we're, we're going on with the summit until we're told that we're not allowed to. Um, because that's sort of the world we find ourselves in now. Uh, There's no external help coming this time, Um, it would appear. And honestly, it's from everything we can tell so far, and things can change, obviously. Uh, It does look like those who are fully vaccinated and those who have had their booster, uh, if they do wind up catching are getting what are called mild cases. Now, we also know that mild cases of coronavirus are, like, getting punched in the gut. So uh, mild, it does not mean, like, it's the sniffles. It means, like, that's a crappy flu you've got right there when you're vaccinated. Um, This is something I'm monitoring very closely. Obviously, I have been in this exact position before. I do not like reruns, so I'm very crabby this week um, because of that. That said, you know, there's also a lot of work going on right now. And for everyone, my advice is just if you're lucky enough to be in a major metropolitan area where vaccine mandates are required for these kind of indoor gatherings, great. Follow the guidelines. If you are not so lucky as to be in a place that's requiring that uh, and uh, bucking the trend is going to get you a lot of blowback, I empathize with you and maybe encourage you to think about paring down what you're doing during this wave. Uh, We're very lucky here in Los Angeles. Vaccine is required. That's what we're requiring for the next stage, that everyone is fully vaccinated and that we will be masking the entire time. Speakers will be unmasking while they're, will have the option to unmask while they're on stage and using a microphone, they will not be required to. Um, So if someone wants to keep their mask on, they can. Um, And I, um, yeah, just, we've been at this for a very long time now. So I feel like anything else is just like flogging, uh, flogging various um, levels of uh, living and unliving equines. But that said, um, I, I, wish the best for all of us um this is uh not a place we wanted to be in again and while i'm not worried i am concerned um that um we're not done on this merry-go-round by a long shot but we know that we have to find a way forward as a community as an industry and masks work pretty good so use them and for those who don't like them tough thank you for wearing the mask and until next time i'll see you at the show